Hi, I'm Dylan Taylor, Chairman and CEO of Voyager Space Holdings. I'm Ken Eppins, Founder and CEO of Orbit Guardians. Hi, I'm Raphael Rodkin, Founder of E2MC Space Ventures. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. This show is for entertainment purposes only and is not what is termed professional advice. The Cold Star Project is proudly presented by the Operational Excellence Society. Cold Star Tech is a supporter of the OPEX Society, and Jason Canigan is a member of its board of advisors. Talk with us at Cold Star Tech to find out what we can achieve together with your Lean Six Sigma or Operational Excellence programs. And check out opexsociety.org to learn more. I'd also like to remind you to check out the America's Future series, the non-political speaker series on uh, U.S. national security and space and defense. Great discussions. Uh, Cold Star Tech is a promotional partner of the America's Future series and vice versa. You can check out their website at americas-fs.org. All right, today's guests are another great referral from our friend Tim Anderson. Thank you, Tim. They are Robert Twiggs and Matt Kraft. Now, Bob Twiggs is known in the satellite industry and academia as, uh, how you could call him the father of the CubeSat because he co-developed the CubeSat standard, which is pretty cool. And he is the more scientific, I guess, uh, of the pair. And Matt is more of the entrepreneurial type and he's more like myself he's coming through finance and business and the two of them together are working on this really great educational program about space and stem Uh, had some wonderful experience in the state of virginia and are now taking it countrywide and so as soon as i heard about this i was really excited about it i wanted to support them as much as i can so bob matt welcome tell me a little bit about the concept of of what you're doing let's have bob start with that Okay, well, you know, uh, this um, whole thing that we're doing right now uh, come out of some work that I'd done while I was in the university program Mm -hmm. of um, educating students with something that I think is really practical. And this really started uh, back in the uh, very early 80s when I was at uh, Weber State University in Utah. And um, we had a guy named Gil Moore uh, come to us who was a, a resident of Ogden and worked for Morton Feichel, the, mm. the rocket company. He says, hey, I've got an idea for a, a project for you guys. Would, would you be interested in doing it? And, and at Weber State, I was, that was a technology program, not an engineering program. And um, he got a bunch of uh, faculty guys together and said, hey, we'd like to build this uh, this satellite and get it launched off of the space shuttle and gosh who wouldn't want to work on something like that that that's cool mm-hmm. so um, not having anybody in the group um, the faculty or a bunch of um, amateur radio guys none of us had ever worked on a satellite before and I think that was the saving grace if we had we'd probably have said hey we can't do this but you know uh, anyway we started with that and uh and ended up actually getting a satellite launched, kind of one of the first small satellites. Now, when we say small satellites now, you know, obviously there were small satellites at the very beginning. If you remember, you know, the first ones that the the U.S. launched were soccer ball sizes. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, it was kind of interesting to get a bunch of novice guys together and do this. And we did it at the university because we wanted to get students involved. We thought, gee, this would be pretty cool. 
so that's how we started out. And in, in a couple of years, we actually got this satellite launched. It was uh, called NUSAT-1. It, it was a ball about 18 inches in diameter, and it fit in what they call the the getaway special can uh, on the uh, space shuttle. It's about a uh, size of a home garbage can. And they built a thing in it that could actually hold the satellite, and then a door opened, and, and, and a command would launch the satellite out. Mm-hmm. And we were we were pretty excited about doing this, but the things that went into the satellite were in no way space-qualified components, because if you get space-qualified components, you pay a lot of dollars. But, but we, we kind of snuck in Radio Shack parts and, and auto store parts and things like that, because we didn't have any money to buy this other stuff. And we figured, hey, well, we'll put it in there, but we won't let NASA look at it, or they would they would go bonkers about trying to launch something with stuff like that. Anyway, they the the satellite got launched and the thing actually worked. You know, we were kind of surprised as everybody else. And the thing that we found out about it, it was a tremendous project for the students mm-hmm. to get involved in actually getting their hands on and, and building a, a real satellite for launch. And this thing lasted for about two years at the altitude it was launched. It came down, it, it decayed down. And so that started a program in small satellites at universities. And uh, uh, I stayed at uh, Weber State for for a few years and then actually uh, got a, a call to, was I interested in going to Stanford University or, and start a project? And I would had actually got my master's degree in Stanford in the, in the, the mid-60s. So this is going back in the 90s started a program there to work with students and building satellites. And out of that program uh, actually came the CubeSat program, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with, mm-hmm. that was built specifically to educate students. It was, we we come up with uh, the CubeSat, which is a four inch cube, specifically for the reason of making it easier to find launches for it. The smaller mm-hmm. you think you've got, the easier it is to find a launch. Uh, and we built a, a thing uh, called a Peapod at the time, which is a jack-in-the-box launcher for it. And uh, we weren't exactly greeted with uh, with Nobel Prizes for it. <laughs> In fact, we were said, that's the stupidest thing we ever see. Nobody's going to build anything that small for anything useful. But as the time went on, you know what the CubeSat program is now. It's it's phenomenal. It's one of these kind of programs that nobody ever thought it would work. But when you get to looking at it, because of many things, because of the cost of doing things, they you know they didn't have as much money in NASA to fund big satellites, and because of the um, shrinking of the small satellites, because of the iPhone and the technology and so on. It made it possible to do a lot of pretty cool things in in uh, in that size and and from an education standpoint, I don't think we could have done any better. Um, but our program now, it's you know been there, done that. Mm-hmm. Our program now is to try and go back into the lower grades, but that was all in a university program, and uh, to take things in that will excite the kids, give them some technology and. And it's kind of build their knowledge and their enthusiasm and their capability so that if they want to, maybe by the time they get to high school or even in a university program, they could build a CubeSat and launch it. 
so that that's kind of the story of you know of how it started and and, and where it is today and so we uh, again our whole emphasis is education of the students, making sure that they understand that the subject that you're taking, they really need them. You know, mm -hmm. that, why do I need chemistry? Why do I need physics? That's the nice thing about satellites and, and getting them up in space is it's a multidisciplinary type of thing. And and to me, it's, it, it's really exciting. Okay, great, Bob. Thank you. So, Bob, I, I heard that you co-developed the CubeSat standards. Is that true? Yes, that's right. Um, uh, I worked with Jordi Pusari down at uh, at Cal Poly, and we had been talking about doing something together. And, and uh, so I said, well, you know, let's try and build something that's small. And so I went and got this box at the... Uh, huh. At the plastic shop, the four-inch box that they put be Beanie Babies in, and and that that said, hey, wonder if we can't build a satellite that size. So I put one of those together, and I put uh, a, a proposed launcher together, and sent it to to Jordy at Cal Poly, and Jordy did it. He he took the whole thing and and you know did all the specifications on. If it hadn't been for Jordy, it would have it never happened. So it was a a combination of the two of us, uh, you know, uh, my idea of maybe we can do this. And then somebody that said, I will do it. And, and that's, that was Jordy. So you really have to give Jordy and, and Cal Poly uh, the credit for um, making something that, that really goes. Right. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted folks to know that you had uh, a big influence on the, the CubeSat standards. Uh, by the way, I should acknowledge Commander Tim Anderson at this point, too. He's been a tremendous supporter of, of myself and this show uh, over the last few years. And uh, is this is another great introduction from him. I, I I think there's been six or seven really good ones that have turned into to show episodes, right, where I've been able to share with the world what you folks are doing. Um, okay, so Matt, let's move to you. Tell us a little bit about the program today, who you've been working with, uh, what kind of, of organizations and what you're having them do. Yeah. So if you don't mind, I'll kind of take one step mm -hmm. back. So sure. whenever Bob and I kind of, I met Bob at a space uh, commercial space conference back around 2016 and Bob and I started talking about different ideas and both Bob and I had a passion for space. And so one of the things that I wanted to do was kind of, leverage some of Bob's expertise in developing new small satellite technologies, kind of merged with his passion for STEM education. So one of the first things that we did was we created a program uh, with Virginia Space, for Virginia Commercial Space Flight Authority, called the Virginia Space FinSat program. And Bob and I kind of put together a three-phase program um, where in the first phase, students kind of built a flat sat and understood, you know, software, uh, coatings, sensors, small satellite systems, and so forth. And then second, play, second phase, they built a payload that went into a, a, a Pico satellite that we had, which is basically a basic uh, satellite bus. And then phase three, we actually took their payloads and we integrated them into these thin sats. Uh, we integrated those into a containerized satellite dispenser, and we took them to Moorhead State University um, and did all the required um, environmental testing like thermal vac, uh, vibration tables, and so forth, all the requirements that you would have uh, 
based on NASA requirements and also Antares, uh, Northrop Grumman Antares rocket requirements. And so it was a great program uh, where students actually got to build a payload and fly it in space in extreme low Earth orbit. So it was really exciting. And it was a program that was sponsored and paid for by Virginia Space. And so they spent a lot of money uh, on this program. And we actually had two missions. On the first mission, NG-11, we flew 60 ThinSats. And then on NG-15, we flew 30 ThinSats. Uh, but that program uh, encompassed students from 10 different states. Uh, and we probably had a little over 400, 450 students that participated in the program. Uh, but it was a really a neat program. Uh, the way that we did it is we engaged a lot of the major universities in Virginia, for example, the University of Virginia, Virginia Tech, Old Dominion, William & Mary, and so forth. And then those schools did outreach to high schools and middle schools in their regions and kind of mentored them and kind of helped them through the program. So that was very exciting. We had a lot of success and had a lot of momentum. And then unfortunately, COVID hit. And when COVID hit, it was extremely difficult, obviously, for students to get together and finish their pay payloads and finish their programs. Um, and so uh, there was a change of leadership at Virginia Space, and they were focused on building a launch pad for rocket labs and building a payload integration facility. So unfortunately, that program came to an end. And since that time, uh, we've been really focused on developing new products, uh, STEM-based products and programs that can be rolled out and in, in, uh school classrooms or even hobbyists or individuals can use these products um, for STEM education, learning about systems engineering and space science and so forth. Excellent. Okay. So Matt, so through, through Twig Space Labs, you guys have created these STEM and STEAM programs, all the right buzzwords, <laughs> and worked with, uh, particularly in Virginia, the state of Virginia and the United States, uh, institutions, post-secondary institutions, and then going back to the high school uh, and I guess grade school students right. and giving them the parts, the tools, the know-how to build satellites and then gotten them on launches and actually launched many, not just one or two, but many of these things uh, into space. And then they beep and give their signals back to the kids and they go, Ooh, I created something. <laughs> I can see it. Right. I can, I can measure it and that kind of thing. Um, so, however, uh, mm-hmm. No, I was sorry. I was going to say, you know, I think one of the things that distinguishes us from some some other companies, and there's not a really a, a lot of companies out there that do the do what we do. But what we've tried to do is create comprehensive programs. So we're not really just selling hardware. We're kind of mm -hmm. selling a solution, if you were. And so our our comprehensive offerings, you know, include the hardware. It includes the software, detailed user manuals, and related curriculum. One of the key things that Bob really wanted was having a data dashboard. And so we've got dashboards that students can have on their computers. They can use them on their iPhones. And also we're now developing a, a web-based uh, data dashboard where students can kind of see other students' data and also provide technical support. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things whenever we first pitched the ThinSat program to, to schools, they're like, wow, this is fantastic. I'm, it's so exciting. Bob, when he, when can you come to our high school and teach the program? It's like, well, Bob can't travel the United <laughs> States and, you know, teach 80 classes a week. Right. So, you know, we tried to tried to create a, a total package and it was kind of mm. interesting. We got a nice email from one of our customers up in New York, a uh, very bright kid that's going to Harvard uh, next year. 
he bought our QB2 Pocket Cube system, which is one of our more advanced products. And he worked through that whole program by himself, just using our user manuals and stuff. He said, I really didn't have any problems until I got to creating my own payload and building my own payload. Then I ran into integration issues, but he said it was fantastic. And then also his classroom bought one of our CANSAT kits, which is a kit that requires soldering all the components in it and integrating the five different subsystems mm -hmm. satellite. And he said the class had a blast and we did not receive one call asking for any support or help whatsoever. He said they just did it by themselves. Okay. So neat. So you've got these kits that can be sold to organizations or provided for them because another option is for you and this program to be fueled by funding from a third party, like a, a, a state institution or a prime contractor or somebody else like that. Who are you looking for? Uh, to help fund uh, these things and, and spread the message and the know-how? So I think that's a great question. And, and kind of, I think what a, a perfect model would be is, of course, in the States, you have uh, the, the space NASA Space Grant Consortiums, where they provide small grants that can fund some of these schools buying the programs. To me, and, and we've talked to, back at SmallSat Conference, a, a few years back, we had the opportunity to talk to a couple of the primes, and they were very interested in, and one of them participated in the ThinSat program. But to me, in an ideal world, you would go to some of the prime contractors and say, look, for X amount of dollars, you know, you can support 10, 15, 20 different schools and buy this program and buy this hardware for them, which, you know, you, that, that you can have, you know, 20, 30, 40 kids at a school participate in that program but you can reach you know, kids at 10 or 12 different schools. And so it can really have a very um, exponential factor by engaging all these different students and allowing that prime contractor to kind of put their face on it. You know, it's like, because that's one of the things that we learned is a lot of these um, prime contractors are having difficulty hiring STEM talent, because mm -hmm. as you know, a lot of these jobs require that they be U.S. citizens, and they also have to have uh, security clearances. And so it's critical that we develop talent here within the United States for these contractors to be able to, to hire. And so this is a good program outreach, and Bob's program with CubeSats did the exact same thing. You know, it really created a program where students learned these valuable hands-on skills that are necessary in, you know, workforce development today. And so to me, it's it's getting the message out to some of these larger corporations, to NASA, to some of these granting authorities, National Science Foundation and so forth to say, hey, you know, this is a great opportunity that we can leverage these technologies and programs to a broad range of students and get them, into, as Bob said, it's critical to get them engaged early because, mm -hmm. you know, if kids don't have the basic foundations in math and science by the time they get to high school. Unfortunately, it's kind of too late. You know, it's kind of hard for them to catch up and mm -hmm. do the calculuses and physics and so forth. True, true. I'm a guy who floated through high school. I was very good <laughs> at the history and the literature and stuff like that. And I could do physics, but the math, I didn't think I was good at math for many, many years. And then to get into the operations management program, I needed to take a math course and get a B, 70 something percent or higher or something like that. And I had a great teacher who just taught me, grind it out, learn the process, do it over and over again until you know it, right? And uh, suddenly I became good at math. I found out I was, I was good at it, but it took a minute. So 
Okay, so now that people understand why they should care, I'm a big believer in understanding how we got here. And and it also it leaves clues for success you could follow and that kind of thing. So now I think is a good point for us to dig into your personal histories. Bob, I want to hear from you uh, where you came from and how you got to be here. Well, I, um, I didn't expect to be here like this, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, my dad was a... a a potato farmer in Idaho mm -hmm. and uh, very small farm. My dad uh, uh, graduated from the sixth grade, uh, but he was very interested that I try and get an education. And uh, they helped me limp through high school. And after I got out of high school, um, I ended up going into the Air Force because I said, well, you know, if I'm going to get an education, I got to have some some money to do it. And And I ended up in a electronics program out mm. four years in the air force i ended up two years going to school and i i met some guys while i was in the air force that were engineers i i worked on um um aircraft uh the the radar on aircraft and of course the companies that made the uh, radar had engineers that that supported us there and so i got to know these guys and i thought well you know i like to be a technician i like that but you know, I'd really like something more. So I talked to them about what engineers are and what they do. So my whole goal once that I got out of the Air Force was uh, to use that GI Bill that I had and go to school. So I went to school at University of Idaho and got a degree in electrical engineering and then and then went down to uh, Northern California uh, and worked for a company called Varian Associates that had a program where you could uh, work part-time and work full-time and part-time go to school. So I got a master's degree at Stanford again in electrical engineering. And um, then I, you know, I got involved, that was all a hardware sort of thing. And I got involved in the jobs that I had with software and uh, uh, ended up going to um, up to Utah to work for a company because I, you know, had born and born and raised in, in Idaho and you kind of want to get back near your your home state and while I was there working for a, a company I got an invitation to um uh to teach some classes at Weber State University that I ended up in and uh I said gee I've never taught classes anyway I taught software classes and ended up actually going to going to work for them uh, full time. And uh, I, I really enjoyed that thing. And so that's where the that's where the satellite program got started uh, with us there. And like I say, it went to Stanford and then from Stanford, uh, worked there for 12 years, retired and then ended up at uh, Moorhead State University there in in Kentucky. And a really, really fun sort of thing, I have to say. Mm. Uh, working with the students is very, very satisfying to me because, you know, it's, it's kind of like I, I picture myself as the guy that has a battery on his back and a pair of jumper cables. And my mm. job is to get things started. And once I get them started, generally they, they really take off. And and obviously, I can I can quote some students that are around that are professors at universities that I worked with at uh, at Stanford. So you know, I, how could you get a much better career than that? And uh, I worked until I was eighty three years old before I retired, and now I'm still working. And, mm -hmm. and what a 
what a fun way to go. And uh, I really like this STEM program because I think that that's going to make a lot of difference. And as we get farther along here, I'd like to talk about what what STEM is doing on the ground okay. and what the potential is there. So okay. anyway, yeah, that's let's come back to that. That's great. Uh, Matt, your turn. <laughs> how did you get to where you're at and how did you connect with Bob here? So, so Bob, Bob really is the energy, the, the energizer bunny. I mean, he, he, he's got more energy at his age now than, than most people have in their twenties. So it's kind of, it's, it's been very exciting to work with him. My career is not nearly as exciting as his, but I grew up in Mobile, Alabama and uh, received a uh, bachelor of art degree from Auburn university. And Right out of college, I went and I thought I wanted to go into law school. So I went and worked for a law firm in their merger and acquisition and also in their tax practices and lived in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. And then having done that for like five years, I'm like, yeah, I'm not I don't want to be a lawyer and, and, and do that for the rest of my life. So I decided to go back to school and I attended Texas, Texas Christian University and got a master's degree of business. And after that, I worked three years in the private client services group of a national brokerage firm in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, I had a great opportunity to be a co-founder for a high-tech startup in December of 99. And so I moved to Lexington, Kentucky, and kind of started pursuing my passion to become an entrepreneur. And over the years, I participated in several uh, entrepreneurial ventures, including one company that was funded by the Department of Homeland Security, Another company that was funded by Angel Investors uh, that was subsequently sold to a NASDAQ traded company and another business we started that was sold to a business consolidator. And then and then after doing several startups, I consulted with small businesses uh, and startup ventures uh, for 10 years before we co-founded Quick Space Labs. But as a kid growing up in the in the 60s and early 70s, you know, I loved the Apollo program and it was yeah. something that I followed closely and knew all the astronauts names. And so, you know, whenever anybody ever asked me, it's like, what do you do? What do you want to do when you grow up? I'm like, I want to be an astronaut. And so you can imagine the great disappointment I had whenever the program mm-hmm. was canceled. I believe it was in 1970, but the last mission flew in 1972. So that that really put me in a career spin as a as a 10 year old or nine year old, I'm like, all right, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? But I've always had a passion for space exploration and technology. So to my wife's chagrin, I decided to go back to college for the third time. And I got a master's of science in commercial enterprise and space from Florida tech. And during this time I had the opportunity, as I said earlier, I met Bob at a conference and talked to him about starting a, you know, kind of, asking him questions about the space business and satellites and, you know, how we could potentially get started uh, starting a company and, you know, a a space 2.0 company. And so Mm -hmm. Bob and I had several meetings. We kind of went back and forth and kind of came to the conclusion. It's like, okay, Bob, you know, how can we leverage your experience, you know, developing all these small technologies, but also leverage Warhead State University and their space science center and all the environmental testing equipment that they had there. And also this, all the students that we were, that they were training. And so after several meetings, we decided that we wanted to co-found a company uh, that was really focused on STEM education because that had been Bob's passion for 40 years. And so kind of 
here we are today, right? And so it's, we've been working together for a little over six years now. And so it's been a great adventure working with him and developing new technologies and seeing his passion working for students. And, and to, to this day, still, that's his number one passion is educating, you know, kids for the future, STEM, STEM career opportunities. Right. Excellent. Excellent. Bob, let's get back to the, the topic you wanted to cover then just now about the impact of STEM and STEAM and, and uh, your involvement in it. Yeah, one of the things that um, that I'm doing is I'm uh, uh, sponsoring a class, a sixth, sixth, seventh grade class in a local hmm. school here. It's an after school uh, project. And it, it's a really learning experience for me because we started out with this thing that, hey, Let's, the, the Internet of Things is where you have sensors at remote locations, gather data, bring it in, uh, you know, put it on the Internet and the kids have access to it. And that's what we st I started out with, with with this group. We didn't have the the IOT thing established at that point, but we wanted to start with sensors and stuff. And what I found out with the kids is is kind of an interesting thing. Um, I don't they they were not particularly interested in that. The the thing that I come up with was a a little sensor that that measures temperature, uh humidity and barometric pressure and uh I made each of the students, you know, one of one of those devices that they could carry around and and uh uh find out about things, you know, we we knew the elevation at the school and I said okay what I want you to do now is find the elevation at your home hmm. and what you do is you take a reading to the device and then go to your home and take another reading to the device and the difference you add or subtract from that base elevation and so it's trying to get them to think about measurements how you measure things and um, the other thing that's really interesting about this little device is it you can you can calibrate it to to measure altitude but the thing sets on your desk and it changes why does it change well it's measuring air pressure air pressure changes with the weather mm -hmm. so when you have highs or low in the weather <laughs> this thing moves and i say gee that that's pretty interesting. So you can watch this thing and you can tell when a storm comes in. Um, and, you know, and then we, we got a map out and I bought a, a map like we used to get in the garages uh, of Waco. And I said, okay, what I want you to do is go measure the elevation at various places around Waco. And I want you to take this map, draw a straight line, tell me how far it is. Well, you know, they had to convert inches to to miles on this map and and you know things that are simple like that now this is sixth grade seventh grade so they right. don't have a lot of math and what i what i found out from that is i need to make this device a little different i need to put something that stores the data in it now why why am i doing all this and where does it go well it turns out there's another thing that you can add to it that's really important air quality hmm. And there was just a thing come out on the internet about a week ago that said Texas is one of the dirtiest states in the union because of all the oil wells and because of, you know, everything else. Well, what if we start measuring air quality? Now, that's something that's really good for the community, right? Mm. 
So what if we have kids in the school, if I took every sixth grade in the state of Texas and they could measure air quality, what kind of a map would that give us? Mm -hmm. What kind of a map? What is it going to do for people? Now, here's something that has an immediate return for the people. And, I, and, and once I can, the kids do that, and we collect that data and put it in a database with their name on it, what's that going to do to the kid? Here's something that I'm doing that's helping the community right now. So there's there's a lot of things that you can kind of do on the the community on the ground side of things. And then you say, okay, well, you've done this in the sixth grade. We'll we'll zip it up a little for the seventh and the eighth. And the the technology that they've got there, by the time they get to high school, if they want to build a CubeSat or a pocket cube, they can do it because they've got the background. So, you know, that that excites me. I, you know, <laughs> I built satellites with the students, been there, done that, uh, and it's fun. I, you know, I got my fingerprint in space and I've seen data come back from the satellites. But what does it take now to get a satellite in space? It is not trivial at all. Hmm. You've got to go, you know, it costs a lot of money. You've got to get NASA or somebody to launch it for you. So it's hard to get to that point. So what do we do to get to that point? We're doing things that are very, very useful to the community. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, the sort of distributed intelligence gathering network <laughs> run by kids um, and and getting this data that isn't being gathered uh, perhaps any other way. Uh, right. I think young people today need hope too, really young people um, in, in many places that they could do something else rather than, uh, well, I've got a future to look forward to that uh, uh, either I'm cutting hair or I'm going to work for uh, a certain large um, <laughs> grocery and uh and parts store <laughs> centered out of Arkansas. You know, gonna, it's, it's, well, I'm sorry, Jason. I was gonna, yeah. I was gonna add on to one thing that Bob mm -hmm. said. Uh, like one of the one of the new products that that we developed uh, in, and we'll be rolling out pretty soon is a is mm -hmm. a product called SkyCube, and it kind of takes on the concept of what Bob wanted to do with his AlphaSat mm -hmm. is, but it's a modular remote sensing platform that has a LoRa radio and can transmit data from the core module back to a ground station where it shows up, like Bob said, either on a web-based uh, dashboard or on your computer. Mm -hmm. But with all of our products, one of the things that we've done is, is, is made the architecture very modular where you can add new different mm -hmm. components and sensors and stuff. And so what we're going to do with that particular product is, is, is have the core We'll have a GPS unit on that that also has a real-time clock, um, a data logger where the data can be collected on a micro uh, SD card or it can be transmitted. But the other main thing is, is having a, a, a payload development board where you can put any kind of sensor you want on there. So if you want to look at particulate matter, you want to look at CO2, you want to look at methane gas, all these different things in our environment you can create a payload board and we'll have some payload boards that TSL develops as well. But I mean, you're basically creating a whole, or we hope to create a whole new generation of citizen scientists that can use these devices that collect environmental data uh, in their communities and load that data up in a centralized database where all the students have access to it and can analyze it and look at it and say, 
hey, what's going on in North Carolina? What's going on in Texas? What's going on in Kentucky and all these different states? And look at the data and start doing some analysis. And so that's one of the things that we hope to do is just really get a broad range of engagements from a lot of students. Like you said, there's got to be a good starting point. Like Bob said, the, the, the hundreds of thousands of dollars it takes to build and launch and get all the licensing requirements to put a satellite in space. And now you're running into orbital debris mm -hmm. issues and so forth. Just teaching kids the skills that the same skills that you would use to build a satellite, but using it in a terrestrial environment while collecting mm -hmm. critical data, you know, I think is a win for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great vision. I, I like it. And, and having the kids experience it for themselves and so it's working with this stuff and doing a little math or whatever. It isn't something over there behind a wall or something for other people, right? It's something that I can do myself. So Matt, let's talk a little bit about um, funding for this kind of project. Uh, let's talk about the, the prime contractors who might be interested in this. Who's a person working at a prime contractor? What kind of role would that be that they would be interested in hearing about this? Maybe somebody's listening and they're like, oh, I know that person, right? And they forward this to them. Um, what what kind of information would you like them to know? So I think part of it is there, you know, with different companies, you have different people, some, some large, very large corporations, they actually have STEM outreach hmm. groups. Others have corporate development offices that they like to, to partner with different organizations, whether it's for partnering with developing technologies or partnering you know, to bring solutions to the marketplace. And so I think, you know, getting in touch with the right people at these large corporations that see the need to develop, you know, the future workforce to get these STEM skills out, out, out into the uh, communities, educational communities, I think is critical. Uh, so that's, that's one thing we can do. Um, getting more opportunities through NASA. Um, you know, I've, we've had several conversations with folks at Space Force. Unfortunately, you know, at Space Force, it's like, you know, we don't have security clearances. So it's like, you know, one of those things where we can't, we can't tell you what we need or what we want because you don't have security clearances, but we like a lot of the things that you're doing. Um, and then, you know, even school districts, the Department of Education, I know that Bob was involved um, and, and, and we had, several meetings and conversations with the Department of Education where they were sponsoring a CubeSat challenge where Bob was an advisor on that. But getting getting like the Department of Education's or independent school districts to kind of say, you know, hey, this is a great opportunity for experiential learning, hands-on activities for students. Uh, but the problem is, like you said, funding. So a lot of these two things, one of it's funding schools, getting the funding to do it or getting a company to sponsor it. And the second part of it is, is time. So I hate to say it, but a lot of schools now teach to, to, to testing standards. So it's like the teacher's day is pretty much full teaching what they have to teach to make sure that they their students do well on these standardized tests that they take on an annual basis. And so that kind of has become a problem. So some of the some of the activities that we engage students with are after school programs. Okay. So I think it, it, it I think it requires several things. I think it needs a rethinking of the education, a way education's delivered today that we need more experiential hands-on learning. I mean, if you look at that and look at students that have that opportunity, it translates into better performance and core uh, disciplines within the education. Uh, but it's also a lot more fun and the more 
fun students have learning, the better they're going to perform in all their academic things. But yeah, I mean, we we're definitely interested in working and partnering with with any companies that are interested in STEM education. And, you know, I think obviously, like you said, the prime contractors is the perfect place to start since mm -hmm. the skills that we're that we're developing in students are skills that they will definitely need and translate well into, into their jobs. Right. Okay, Matt. Is, is there anything that we've missed talking about today? I know we've got a huge list of, of types of projects both of you have worked on, and I think I'd like to have you both back on to kind of dig into those sometime soon. Um, but keeping in, inside of this idea or this bubble of, okay, we're going to talk about STEM and, and uh, your, your programs and, um, awareness that it exists and who could help fund it you've got a list here in our notes of uh, many ways of, of support that that you know forms that right. that could take there um, I think I'll put that in the description as well um, but is there anything that we we haven't covered that you'd like to touch on well I think um, one of the things that we're hoping is that that the schools will make this a required course hmm. and um, uh, the one thing I've found out living here in Texas is we we pay a lot of property taxes and, hmm. and the schools are pretty well funded here okay and it, it's not you know uh, compared to the football and some of these other things it's 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 not that expensive and that's a the thing that we're trying to do, we're trying to get the cost of these things down. They are coming mm -hmm. down. You know, if we build something now that, you know, this thing that I build for the for the kids, this this thing is probably um, thirty dollars worth of parts. If I if I build a hundred of them, they're probably down to fifteen. Mm -hmm. uh, what's important to me with these things is each kid have one. I hate to see a deal where you have you know, five kids in a team, it's good to work in a team, but I, I think everyone has their hands on. The other thing that I compare this to is I compare this to the personal um, computer. What has the apps done on the personal computer? The people that build these applications, right. they built things that we use. We didn't think about them before. And what we want to do is give these students the background so that they, they're going to come up with things we hadn't thought about. And I think that's the exciting thing. Mm -hmm. And if we can give them the tools or show them how to get the tools, I think we'll see things through this program that we can come back and say, well, in, in reality, this is what the space program produced. It, it it created a lot of components. It created a lot of excitement. But in the in the road to fly something, you learn all of these things that you're going to apply someplace else. And I I think that's really the important thing. And and I like this term that Matt come up with, citizen scientists. Mm -hmm. I think that's a that's a term we ought to. Uh, ingrain into these uh, students uh, that, you know, if you either maybe citizen engineer or citizen scientist, I think, I think that would give them a, a thrill. These kind of thrills to me are, are what encourage students. Uh, it's like, they're, they're not going to achieve much, but if you make them achieve something significant in these lower grades, they're going to go gangbusters mm -hmm. uh, with their education. And, and I don't think everybody needs a college education. I've, I've got a, a young friend of mine that's that's here working in my shop with me. He just has a high school education. That kid programs around me like crazy. 
That kid is so sharp. I'll I'll bet he will he can outrun a lot of university students. So uh, if you get a, the right thing in high school, uh, I think we can have a, a, an awful lot of people because they need the technicians. Everybody's saying, "Oh, we, you got to have a university education." I don't think that's right. Mm -hmm. I, I think you can do an awful lot, and there are a lot of people that make a lot more money than us with uh, university education. So um, that that's kind of the the thing that we why we should do this right. and i'll add one quick point on to what bob said and it, it, it it's in a perfect example so whenever we were pitching the concept of the virginia uh pinsat program we were sitting in a an executive boardroom with probably 20 executives from orbital atk there were nasa executives there and we're sitting around the room and we're saying you know, this is what this is the program we want to do, and and this is how it's going to operate, and so forth. And we started walking through the different three phases of the program and what we saw students could do. And you could see the faces of even like the program director for the Antares rocket was sitting there, and all these faces were lighting up. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, kind of around the table, you know, you'd have one person speak up and say, "Well, wow, students could do this. And, you know, what about this for an experiment idea? And so it was kind of crazy. And so finally, you know, five or six of them piped up and gave their opinion. And, and we said, well, think about when you've got thousands or tens of thousands of students coming up with creative <clears throat> ideas. You know, this is just ideas from, you know, 20 people. Think about when you really unleash students in their creativity, especially at a young age, they'll come up with things that you and I don't even dream about. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, how many how many times have we ever been someplace, Matt, when these engineers are saying, oh, I wish we'd had something like that when we were going to school. Yeah, exactly. So they, they see the value of it. And it isn't it isn't hard to sell to those people. And but the hardest thing, it took me three years to get into this sixth grade class, three years yeah. to get into that. Because, you know, th those teachers are really, really busy. And I happened to hit uh, an administrator that set the spark off that tied me up with this teacher. And she is phenomenal. She's, you know, one of these has got all kinds of a teaching awards and so on. And if she can get excited about it, then she's a good example for other teachers. So uh, I, th I think we'll get it going. Uh, and myself, I'm sponsoring this class. I'm, I'm paying for mm -hmm. everything, doing and paying for everything in it. And we're 25 miles from McGregor where they test the SpaceX engines. There's got to be, uh, there's got to be, uh, um, there's got to be parents that say, you know, why don't you have this in our school? And, and I think we'll get it going. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, People need to know that it exists. Well, right. I'm, I'm almost 50. I hope I have the energy level that you do, Bob. <laughs> so I, I get there. Um, I, I think it's it's great. And I think it really comes back to identity, a sense of identity that these kids have. If they view themselves as just another cog in the wheel, well, that's one thing. But if they get this experience and they're able yeah. to start seeing themselves as uh as a as a mover as somebody who creates something right i can i can put this and that together and i understand why it works uh and the spillover effect as we've seen over time is yeah. really uh really amazing um where they where they realize okay i could work on bigger projects and do more yeah. so i think it's it's an excellent program um well so let's assume somebody listening to this watching this wants to get in contact with you how should they do that 
Um, well, I think you've got my email address. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's the easiest way. And, uh, you know, if you find somebody that says, well, I want to talk to him, let me know and I'll give you my telephone number. And my email address is Matt, M-A-T-T dot craft, C-R-A-F-T at twigsspacelab.com. And so you can search that on the web. Uh, we have a website <clears throat> if you need any additional information. Right. And I'll put some notes down in the uh, the description below. All right, guys, appreciate you doing this. It's been a lot of fun. Jason, great to talk to you again. Good, good. I hope we spread the word. <laughs> All right. Again, if you think that you would be a good connection with Bob and Matt, please reach out to Bob at bob.twigs at twigsspacelab.com or Matt at matt.craft at twigsspacelab.com s's in the middle there all right now your company president founder executive and you're like oh my gosh <laughs> i'm overwhelmed here in the space and defense field we got stuff we got stuff going on and we're just not sure how to get ahead in other words you're fighting fires all the time and you're not dealing with what's important just what's with urgent and uh, you think there could be a better way, I think we should speak, okay? So for that, I want you to go to a different website. That's coldstartech.com, okay? coldstartech.com, that's my company. Reach out, book a time to talk with me there. If you'd rather book through LinkedIn, please connect with me at Jason Canigan there, and uh, we'll have a talk and find out whether we're a fit or not for your unique set of problems. All right, thanks for joining us this time. I look forward to talking to you again soon.